Welcome to the Forged by Trust podcast. My name is Robin Dreek, and I'm the founder and CEO of People Formula and the retired head of the FBI Counterintelligence Behavioral Analysis Program, where I spent my career strategizing how to recruit spies by forging trust. Join me as I chat with thought leaders and innovators about how they built teams, partnerships, and their exceptional leadership talents by forging trust. Learn the communication skills to build authentic connections forged upon a foundation of trust. Stop guessing, settling for less than you are capable of, and learn how to master the communication skills you need to move beyond transactional relationships and into mutually beneficial collaboration and partnerships for every aspect of your life. Whether you are a C-suite executive, entrepreneur, student, or parent, Forging trust is the key to unlocking your potential as well as the innovation of those around you. Joining me today on the Forged by Trust podcast is my good friend, teacher, mentor, and guide, the amazing Joe Navarro. Joe Navarro spent a quarter century with the FBI pursuing spies and other dangerous criminals across the globe. In his line of work, successful leadership was quite literally a matter of life or death. Now he brings his hard-earned lessons to you in Be Exceptional. This book distills a lifetime experience into five principles that outstanding individuals live by. Self-mastery, observation, communication, action, and psychological comfort. This book is a culmination of Joe Navarro's decades spent analyzing human behavior, conducting more than 10,000 interviews in the field, and making high-stakes behavioral assessments. Drawn upon case studies from history, compelling first-hand accounts from Navarro's FBI career, and cutting-edge science on nonverbal communication and persuasion, this is a new type of leadership book, one that will have the power to transform for years to come. And when you put these five principles into great pure action, I'm telling you, you will forge the trust you need to move forward. So sit back, relax, and really be part of our conversation. It's a relaxed, easygoing chat between two friends. And got it. Yeah. You are extremely kind to uh, spend some time with me. Matt, I don't even call this an interview because I suck (laughs) at interviews compared to you. (laughs) Just call it a fun chat. (laughs) It's a it's a catch up. Uh, listen, the honor is, uh, the honor is mine. I, uh, when, when you uh, contacted me a few weeks ago, I was in the middle of, um, uh, you know, the book had just come out and it's like, uh, I was really inundated with all the stuff that I had to do. And this is like, this is recreational. This is like fun. <laughs> so, it's why even uh, when you said that, when you said, Hey, give me about three weeks, I put that on my calendar. <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, I felt bad because oh no, as busy as you are, I mean, I remember I was flying into Miami. I don't know if you remember this. I'm driving from the airport to the hotel, and you were going from your hotel to the airport in Miami, and we're missing each other. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, these are two busy guys who uh, we just never have enough time in a city because I had. I had thought, you know, if I get there early enough, I'll be able to talk to him at the hotel. 
no that never works out that way and even when we did the human hacking conference together we were both on our own schedules you know supporting you know chris yeah and so we still get a huge amount of time there but at least you finally got to meet my wife which was good and speaking of that no it was it was great and uh you know i love that uh the 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 conference which uh i think this year it's going to be the the human uh the uh, the human behavior conference yes much better name and uh and i'm looking forward to just having everybody there and getting together and uh as yeah we we didn't have enough time because robin every time i went near you there was a there was an entourage of people trying to talk to you and you too (laughs) so so it was it was kind of hard as like hello excuse me can i talk to him no (laughs) okay so yeah with Uh, with that i'm i'm because I, I know you had the book coming out. I knew it was going to be, you know, a really busy time for you. And yeah. so, and thank you too, because I, I, I literally reach out to all the great authors. I read part of my self-mentorship, you know, sign one for you yeah. uh, and offer them an opportunity. Actually, it's, it's selfish. Uh, ask them, to, you know, do an interview to kind of have, you know, just to tout their work as well as kind of um, share with everyone else that doesn't have as much time to read, you know, some highlights that they can take away because I, I literally see my role as, uh, as you always said, if you have at least one bit of information another human being could benefit from shame on you for not getting it to them. And yeah. so I have time to read voraciously and self mentor myself in that area. And part of what I try to do is continually teach others and share what I'm taking away from it. And which, I, and, which, by the way, is amazing to me because you're also writing, you're also teaching, you're also, you know, husband and father. And it's and it's not like you don't have anything on your plate already. Uh, so I, it's a high tempo. You know, I, I realize in life, you know, uh, I have I generally have a, a slightly different tempo, which uh, can be very off putting. And I know that um, at the same time, you know, I also learned it was an amazing thing. I, I'm not sure if I, I actually have about five pages of notes on your book. I take notes on every book. Um, I, I recently learned something that was pretty amazing to me um, about my learning style that I had no idea about. Um, I learn differently than a lot of people. I am what's known as a kinetic learner and a kinetic thinker. I need movement in order to learn the best. And so I was able to walk a lot this past year because of COVID and not as much travel time. And I started listening to audiobooks. Hmm. And all of a sudden, I started retaining everything I was hearing. Oh, wow. It was miraculous. I mean, it was no longer sitting, you know, trying to physically read something uh, and struggling with it and taking notes on it and reviewing notes. I mean, I take notes while while I walk, you know, on my iPhone, but I was retaining everything. And mm. nothing was uninteresting to me. It was, and then I, I read about this thing, kin- kinetic thinking, because I do the same thing when I'm thinking, I, yeah. I, I move. So anyway, um, it, it gave that's, me- that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, be- because I've, I've talked to some people, they, they didn't call it that, but they enjoy the, the walk and talk and they say they get more out of it than if if they're sitting on a couch they say if i sit on a couch and talk to somebody i i don't remember what we talked about but if we would go for a walk yep uh, i remember it and that's interesting that that it has a that it has a a term yeah yeah i'm trying to remember which book i read that in um oh it might have been i just read um uh call sign chaos by uh mattis 
Hmm. And I think he's the one that uh, coined that term in there. Uh, yeah. It was a good book. Anyway, I did this Jack when I just had Jack on a couple of weeks ago or about a month ago. Um, with, Jack Schaefer? Yep. Uh, with his oh, uh, oh, amazing, you know, as I call the best one point manual for uh, elicitation, or as he calls it, truth detecting, which I thought <laughs> was a great term of phrase. Uh, turn a phrase yeah. um but when i had him on i pointed out because everyone's always you know trying to say when was the first time you all met and actually i have proof the first time we met <laughs> because you both signed my book and dated it <laughs> and so is, uh, is there uh gosh that was that had to be what 2003 uh may 29 2004 2004 wow and we met before that. Um, so this is the this is memento I, I took because because yeah. um, you were because you came to our first BAP training with the new inductees that came on, I think. And that was in 2002. That boy, you have a better memory the, than I do, because you had taken over the unit. Oh, that was uh, much later. <laughs> that was much later. <laughs> well, you had taken you had taken over the unit at, at, at some point. I was out. Uh, of the bureau in 2003, I had just started to do some work with state department and, uh, and then we had started the, uh, advanced interview course where Jack yep. and I got to work together at, uh, at Quantico. That was the advanced counterterrorism uh, yep. interview course. And that's when we started running into a lot of people, because at that point I was out of the bureau and then I was back at, uh, at, uh, at, at Quantico. So it was interesting to, uh, to see how we were transitioning, you know, when you and I started, it was all about counterintelligence, and then it had transitioned into counterterrorism and uh, flavor of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all it yeah. comes down to. Yeah. Um, well, but it, but if you you know if you go a little deeper, it's 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 about your book, you know, the code of trust, which is. How do you get people to trust you? And, yeah, uh, that, that was and, the most, that was so. And there was no difference. <laughs> no, there wasn't, you know, and that was, that that hit me by total mistake. And that'll be a good lead and segue um, to be exceptional because that came about because the law enforcement bulletin asked me to do an article on counterintelligence. And mm -hmm. I was like, huh, what can I write about counterintelligence? And this is when my, when the team was getting disbanded in, in the CD division and, you know, Serg might take it over. And so, right. you know, I was feeling pretty down <laughs> at that time uh, about that. And I said, well, let me write about the team. You know, let me do an homage to our amazing team, which I absolutely loved um, yeah. our altruism, you know, and strategizing all these great cases and operations for case agents where it was, you know, interview strategies, recruitment strategies, double agent ops, you know, all the, as I call it, the hooky spooky spy stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what are we actually doing in every single assessment? And yeah. that's when it really struck me. All we're ever doing is strategizing trust, yeah. you know, and that's when, you know, the light bulbs came on, the fog cleared even more. And I was like, wow, this is really simple. All we're ever doing in every single interaction, not just for the team, but in life, whether it's sales, our kids, our friends, you know, if we're thoughtful about it, we're strategizing trust because from trust springs relationships and partnerships and progress in anything we're trying to do. And, and um, you nailed it it's without it, uh, you're not going to go very far. You're not going to get very far. You're self, 
the less trustworthy you are, the the more self-limiting uh, that that all that all seems. You know, it, it reminds me of a question I was asked a, a couple of months ago. I was doing a virtual event for a high school, and and um, they were asking me all sorts of questions, and and I I said, you know, television and movies do a disservice to uh, to tell us about what the FBI is about because really it's about relationship building because you people don't have to talk to us people don't have to cooperate people don't even have to answer the door and yet we're very successful at it because number one we're trustworthy and we establish trust and we 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 build on that and and that's really what uh, a good interviewer does or a good investigator does yeah matter of fact um so for our um behavioral conference this coming year uh, i've um changed that topic i'm talking about a little bit uh for chris and he loved it so i'm calling it the spy recruiting boot camp <laughs> <laughs> it it's it, it it sounds like something i would sign up for i, well, I like and, that and and so here's the and i'm i do i'm recently did an article on this i gave it to leb's um yeah. for the for the leadership spotlight yeah. and I, it's calling master spy recruiter and you know people think and it's just it's going to this point people think that spy recruiting is about how do you deliver that line that pitch and mm -hmm. so i start off you know talking about when i first get assigned to work the gru in new york city you know i have my jedi master there you know my, my joe navarro in new york his name is uh, in my book he's uh, jesse thorne um, his name is John. And he said, all right, um, I'll teach you how to do this. He says, come with me. Let's run some errands together first. And I said, okay. And, for, and so over the course of the next year, he introduces me to the motor pool guys that we brought donuts to. So we yeah. could have a car, you know, in, in a day turnaround rather than a week. A, a working car. A yes. working car. Yes. Um, <laughs> boy, the, my first bureau car in New York, I had to crawl in and out of the window um, because the doors <laughs> refused shut. Um, and then we went up to the finance division so we could get our vouchers processed and brought them chocolates because that's what they like there. Yeah. Um, we went and talked to and, and literally spent hours and days bringing sandwiches to the lookouts, our static lookouts around the mission in the United Nations to get to know yeah. them so we could get to know our people. Um, the, the mobile surveillance, the people on the other squads, the people in the, you know, in the file clerks rooms, you know, for, yeah. you know, for our, our sources. Because yeah. it, it, this is where you're learning. It takes a relationships, trust, and a village to even get to the point where you can ask someone, hey, do you want to cooperate with the United States government? <laughs> you know, but, but you're right. The, 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 you have to lay down that foundation uh, just to get any, anything done. And, um, you know, I mean, this is so in concert with, with how I've tried to to do things, and you know, you 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 probably noticed it in the book. Is is you know, w when I go to a building, I want to get to know the security guard. <laughs> they can make your life so much easier yes. if you get to know the security guys. If you get to know the 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 receptionist. If you get to know the 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 the, the people in the front office and, and stuff. So that by the time you know you're meeting with the big wigs, uh, you, you've got five friends that will talk good about you yep. even before you walk in increasing that personal brand before you even walk in the uh walk in the meet and also you get a, a tempo and feel for an organization it's a heartbeat before you even you know meet the big wig absolutely
there's a there's a play well i won't name the organization but I, i've given them over the years maybe in excess of, of 20 talks in new york and i so i always say hi to the security guards the receptionists and the receptionists change a lot but the people that don't change are the audiovisual people they have a very professional group mm -hmm. of 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 uh, three or four people that work there and they run all the digital media and and i mean they make everything beautiful the lighting and so forth and uh so over the years i i as soon as i was done with my talk i would go and i would say hi and say hey guys ladies thanks for making me look good and 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 talking and i always made sure that i had an extra book for them and 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 um and so forth and uh, one of the times I, I was there one of the guys uh, uh <laughs> i could hear him say he's here, <laughs> he's here. <laughs> but he but he said something he says no speaker ever comes and talks to us and i go are you kidding me? I said, you're the guy that, you know, has to wire me up, make sure that I look good on the stage, make sure the slides are working. I said, no, nobody comes back here and talks to you guys. And, uh, you know, it, and it, it, it just goes, goes to show you that it's very easy to ignore things. But life is so much better for you when we don't. When we pay attention to to the to the people around us, that um, they may or may not be able to help us, but what 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 does it take? Five right. seconds to say, "Hey guys, good to see you again." It costs you nothing to do that, and it took me it took me long and it took me a long time to um to realize that, and so that kind of brings us to the book, "Be Exceptional." Um, I really you know so a striking thing to I'm, there's so many. First of all. You know, I've, I've read a lot of your stuff. I've known you for a while and there was things in there I didn't know about you. Um, Robin, a while. We've we've known each other for like <laughs> 20 years, three decades. Yeah, I know. It's like yeah, no, yeah. three decades. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's things in there that I, you know, you, when you read someone's work, you you see them on their own journey. And so that yeah. was this for me. And you even said that in your book. You know how you know this book was came about because of writing dangerous personalities. You identified the dichotomy, which I've it's a it's a powerful tool when you identify dichotomies because it gives you a choice as a human being about you know where that balance is. But also, what I found in, amazing about this book, and this is what's good for listeners to know, is this is your greatest work in my opinion of uh, displaying your humility your transparency and your vulnerability in a way I've never seen you write before, uh, which I think it connected even deeper with me, with you. Um, yeah. It was, it was deep. It was a very deep, passionate, you know, message of what the exceptional are. So, you know, what was, you know, besides those things, you know, can you want to yeah. expand upon that a little bit more about the impetus and the inspiration for it? Well, I'm, I'm I mean, I'm honored that, that you would think, uh, that of the book, because I, I know you've read all my material. Uh, I know because you, you you keep hounding me. But, <laughs> uh, you know, you and I go way back. I mean, we've worked together. We have been in the trenches together. We have we have been there on some of the most sensitive uh, cases uh, involved in national security. But, you know, having completed dangerous personalities, and and I thought, you know, in, in writing and in doing research and, and in our work, we also got to 
uh, run into some really interesting people, some really what I, uh, you know, and I don't want the readers to think this, this book is about me. I, I don't really think this book in any way is, is about me. I mean, there's some stories in there <laughs> about some of the things that happened to me, but the book is really about what I found. And that was, um, that there are extraordinary people out there from all walks of life, uh, from a, a farmer that I met who understood his land, who understood his animals, who understood uh, everybody in his life in a way that I could never understand. I, I, I would just be flummoxed to understand what is, what is the soil saying to me? What are the animals saying to me? And yet he has this keen ability to observe Right. And I, I, you know, and I'm a pretty good observer, I think, but I don't observe at that level. <laughs> I'll never observe at that level. And, and yet he was, he was instructive that, that, uh, that, that beautiful old lady in Brazil in the middle of, mm. uh, of, uh, this uh, old colonial city in, in Brazil, and, and this woman is blind, and she's doing embroidery work. Her fingers are so sensitive that they can count threads. I, to this day, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Just and, got mine and, too. <laughs> as 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 she welcomed in, us into this house, she's you know she's she's blind. And she knew where we were standing, whether we were standing or sitting, how we were holding the cup, what we needed. And, and I said to myself, this woman is extraordinary. She has, she has situational awareness that I wish I could teach everybody. If, if agents had this situational awareness, you know, nothing would ever get by you because she had a sense of what was in front of her, behind her, outside the house. She could hear the wind, she could hear voices, and she could just, it, it was almost like echo locating. Right. It, it was, it was breathtakingly extraordinary. And, and as I, you know, and I had collected these stories over the years and, and I said, wow, when I, you know, when I talk to groups as, as you do, you know, most people think, oh, Robin and Joe, they, they spend their time, uh, it, you know, teaching law enforcement stuff. No, we don't. <laughs> We're talking to, to corporations about communication, best practices, uh, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, and, and as I'm, as I'm, I'm, I'm talking uh, to these groups, one of my questions that I always ask is, who here wants to be average? And interestingly enough, no one ever raises their hand. <laughs> there was, I, I will tell you this, there was, there was one time when I think somebody woke up, they were nudged and they started to raise their hand and, and somebody said, no, you don't, don't want to raise your hand to that question. And, you know, nobody wants to be average. But then when I ask them this question, who wants to be exceptional? And now you got some serious thinkers and people start to wonder. And then you say, well, yeah, I'd like to be exceptional. And, you know, fairly soon you have 40, 50, 100, 200 hands go up. Then I go, that's great. But how do you do that? How do you do that? Right. Because it's not working more. 
it's not, you know, burning candles at both ends. How, how, what, what does it take to be exceptional? And that's what no school teaches you. And that's what I found that these extraordinary people, these ex truly exceptional people, like I said, I'm writing about others. They do things that no university teaches you. And then you say, how is that possible? How is it possible that they have been, that no university teaches you that? And it's, and, and it's because they're missing those links, those five links, which um, allow for that. And, and so then I started to think, okay, you've been observing behavior for since the 70s. What is it all about? And that's when it began to come together. I started this book in, you know, you, you talk about how open I, I am in this book. I couldn't have written this book when I started it, which was in April of 2008. That was the first entry I made in my journal. And I talked to my co-writer, uh, Tony, about it. And we began to talk about it. I couldn't have written it then. Uh, because at that point, I still hadn't written about uh, uh, the, the, that spy case I got involved with. And then I, I later came down with post-traumatic stress and, and so forth. And that book allowed me to be more open and, 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 and really to lay it out there and say, you know, we're not robots, we're fragile. Um, you know, I, I, I address mental illness uh, squarely. I, I talk about uh, what it's like to strive to, to do something and then you fail. I mean, you fail so horribly that it doesn't just put you in peril. It puts, you know, other people in peril. I talk about what happened, you know, where, you know, I, I was hoping to, to, to go to college and do this and do that. And now all of a sudden, because of something that I did, um, now I'm a burden to myself and a burden to my family. And, um, and this was a, a, you know, this is something that I had struggled with, but I thought, well, why not lay it out? Uh, I'm, I'm at that point where, you know, I can suspend the ego. Uh, who cares? <laughs> you know, my neighbors think I walk dogs for a living, so I'm good. <laughs> Did I ever tell you that, that, that story? You know, because, you know, at the conference, and it's right. true, at the, at the conference, you, you have an entourage of people wanting to talk to you and people come up to me. But in my neighborhood, you know, I'm I'm walking my dog and neighbors' dogs, and people will drive up to me and roll down the window and ask, "How much do you charge?" <laughs> <laughs> because they, they they see me, they don't think about the 14 books. They right. don't they don't think about my past. They just want to know, can I get this guy at a good bargain to walk my dog every afternoon? I'm the grass cutter in our neighborhood. That's <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, I I know that you've helped uh, the neighbors with uh, lawn 
or not lawn, but with the uh, the uh, the snow blowing. So yeah, that too. Uh, I, mean, I literally we had someone moving in across the street this past week, and uh, his lawnmower is not here yet. Uh, I mowed his lawn for him, and I said, "By the way, when this winter hits, uh, if you see yourself stuck in, I got a snowblower. I'll, I'll be over for you." <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. It re- reminds me of uh, a couple of uh, agents I know up north who who just say, "You know what? Um, it's it's part of our duty." We we you know they they blow their own uh, snow and then they go to their neighbors and uh, that, that's just that's just who who they are but um i i think it was it was at that time at the right time in life to write it from from a perspective where i could look back on um on the last 50 60 uh, years of my life and and say what 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 did i learn and um and and there were some powerful uh, uh, truths there about what a well-disciplined life can achieve, no matter what your circumstances are. That um, whether you look at historical figures, Benjamin Franklin arriving really as a pauper in uh, in um, uh, you know he was living in Boston and Philadelphia and. And um, he becomes one of the greatest, most well-respected inventors in, in all of history. And, uh, you know, <laughs> creates the first fire department in the United States, creates the postal service and, uh, and, and all this stuff. And he had a fourth, fifth grade a- a education. And it just, as I, as I talked to people, I was able to sort of extract what well, what is it well if you know it's it's it, you have to be disciplined you have to be focused you have to rein in those um those emotional things that would uh, detract you from uh, you know this well how often uh, emotions just uh, r- ruin what could have been a really good life because of impulsiveness and mm-hmm. uh, and other things and i started to, to to think okay there's there's some gravitas to that that you you really cannot you could be an exceptional artist truly you know i looked at uh, as you know in the book i looked at the life of leonardo da vinci and you know he, uh, he has no equal but the guy wouldn't be able to make it today right because because he was facing five or six lawsuits for failure to complete his work. Yep. <laughs> can, can you imagine his Yelp ratings? <laughs> 2, 2.2. Wait, Leonardo da Vinci. If yeah, sorry, lucky. bud. But the contract said you have to have it by the end of June. And, you know, and now it's uh, September. And, and so, you know, I started to, to look at that and say, what can we do? Uh, are, what are those things that, that we can do? And that really began the, 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 the process of uh, what are those, those features? And as you know, as it turns out, in the end, there were really uh, only five things that the exceptional have in common, but consistent with your, your you know, the code of trust. Trust is reliability. Right. Trust is consistency. Yep. Trust is truth. Yep. And 
that is part of that mastery that you you can't go linear that way until you handle that here right because everything will fall apart if you don't have that 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 trust so in in, in many ways it it it, it sort of um uh supports uh, your work on uh, on on trust well it's been so i mean and, and to that it's everyone always, you know, the common question I get to is, you know, so how did it all begin on the behavior stuff? And I said, well, it actually began with Joe and, and Jack, you know, I, I immediately gravitated towards Joe and nonverbal behavior and really sunk in with that. But because of the things I was doing, which was a little bit different than Joe's, it kind of took that baseline and shifted it, you know, towards, you know, tons of source recruiting instead of, inter, you know, strictly interviewing, which required, you know, a modification, you know, a, a slight massaging of that um, skill set to, to something different. Same thing with Jack. Um, so it's always, and that's why all our work is uh, supportive of a whole. You know, and it's a it's a beautiful picture of that. And and I find so in that first, you know, quality uh, of the exceptional that was a, a real uh, another another aha moment of discovering another yet another dichotomy was really profound for me. I so in this last couple of years, I've been really focusing hard on you know, people need teachers, mentors, and guides in their lives because, mm. you know, I, I lack them in a lot of critical areas. You know, I always say, you know, how did I get to be the head of the behavioral analysis program in the FBI? Because I failed at everything else I tried. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I don't think that's totally it, accurate because I, a, I think, well, you brought a lot to, uh, 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 I, you brought a lot to the table, but I think we all, we certainly learn from our mistakes. Right. And so I didn't have a lot of teachers, mentors, and guides at some other critical junctures when I was trying yeah. to walk a different path. And so I focus on that. But your first trait, which is self-mentorship, it, it gave me a pause. And I was like, huh, that's the other half of the dichotomy. So yes, it's important to teach mentor, you know, have a teacher, mentor, and guide, but you also need to be able to do that for yourself. Set your mm -hmm. curriculum up in life. And literally that's, you know, why I read so much. This is, and I'm even getting more organized with my self-mentorship of the areas of study. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what was that inspiration for you to come up with that one? Because I thought that was, it was a great way to start because it was brilliant. Well, thanks for that lead in. You know, the, the self-apprenticeship um, I think is, is really based on the fact that we were very poor. My parents, I don't mind telling people, my parents worked for tips at a restaurant. And there, you know, back then people in the 60s, people tipped 15 cents, 25 cents, try to make a living on that. And yet they did. And so for me was realizing that there were adversities, but how could I overcome them? Books. I remember, uh, you know, now we frown on dumpster diving. I remember going through everybody's um, garbage, looking for books, looking for magazines, collecting them. I, I remember wiping them clean because food was was on them, but I collected uh, 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 books because we, we couldn't afford it. And, um, and, and knowing that, um, you know, knowledge was, you know, I had just, I, you know, remember, I had just left from Cuba, where life was great. And then within 24 hours, it was hell. 
And I quickly learned that your life can be turned upside down by forces beyond you. But, but even at an early age, I, I clearly understood that that which is in your mind, nobody can take from you. And, uh, and I was a voracious uh, reader from, from an early age. And that, I didn't know the term for that, but I was creating a, 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 my, my own uh, apprenticeship program where I was going to teach myself. In school, I was being taught to pass grade, to tests, right. right? They wanted me to, you know, do this, do that, and so forth. But they weren't teaching me the kinds of things that I was interested in. I was interested in science. I was interested in biology. I was interested in any number of things that had nothing to do with what the Dade County public school system was teaching. And so I said, fine. I, I'll, I'll create my own system. In fact, in, in the book, I talk about the day I graduated from Brigham Young University. Great university. I mean, you know, I, 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 the great professors have come from there. Um, but the day I graduated, the first thing I did was I went to the public library there in Provo and I got a library card and literally said, now I read what I want to read. Right. I'm not going to, you know, no more textbooks written by professors that I, that, that were required reading. And, and that just un unleashed a, a torrent. So I, I learned that you can create your own mentorship program, um, that you can create whatever scaffolding you want to support whatever your dream and your aspirations are, but you have to pay a price. You have to pay that price. It's not going to, it, it's not going to come to you. And, and I didn't mind paying the price. Um, and I, and I think it's worked out. I, I, I have to say, I don't know that it works out for everybody, but certainly everybody that I went out and interviewed that was exceptional, you know, whether it was, uh, I, as I said, the, the farmer, or this person or that person, I think if I had asked them, uh, you know, would you have given up on yourself? I don't think they would have ever thought about giving up on themselves. I think they would strive under any circumstance, under any adversity, whether they be blind or they were handicapped, um, they would never give up on, on themselves. Um, you know, and sometimes I think being exceptional may not be for everybody if you don't have the will. Yeah, that will is uh, paramount. And one of the consistent things I, I see, you know, in all the stories you had, um, you know, supporting, you know, these five areas yeah. that was universal. And also, you know, I just got done um, chatting with Jack Barsky, who is the KGB deep undercover uh, agent. Great, great chat yesterday yeah. uh, with him, you know, coming from, you know, East Germany right after World War II. Yeah. Um, and his, his extremely humble beginnings of backgrounds and similar to mine too, growing up with very little. Um, one trait that overarches everything is what you're saying is the lack of feeling of victim. 
the exceptional people never feel like a victim. They, you know, they don't place blame on a situation. They just seem to face it. They, it's not that you, you love it or enjoy it, but you just lean in and deal with it. Robin, I wish you'd told me that before I finished the book. I <laughs> but, but you're right. Looking back on the hundreds of interviews, I don't remember any of them. Um, not one ever thinking that they were somehow victimized because they didn't have any money or they didn't have right. this or they didn't have that. They just went out and, uh, and, and they got it. They yeah. got it. They, they got it done. Um, and, 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 you know, uh, what's amazing of it about it is that the journey that they all took which included sacrifices, which included a lot of hardship, they benefited from that. I, I, I look at a lot of people, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's true. In America, if you're average, you're going to get a paycheck. <laughs> but if you're exceptional, you have influence. And I, I look at these people and I think about how influential they are and but they their intent wasn't to be influential their intent was to do something better to learn something better to to be able to do what they wanted to do and in that journey which in the end made them exceptional in that journey they got to see do and meet people and participate in things that they never anticipated. It, it, it sort of goes to that, that concept that Joseph Campbell talks about in, um, uh, when he talks about the power of myths that, um, you know, when he said, go out and find your bliss. And a lot of people mm -hmm. misunderstood that. He didn't, he didn't say, look out the window and say, oh yeah, it's right over there. No, when he said, find your bliss, he said, go out and work your tail off to make it happen. Right. Um, pay the price, study, um, make those sacrifices so that th those doors will be open to you. And, and look at it in our lives. Look at the people that we've been able to meet as a result of our efforts. Um, we, we've, you and I have met some, some pretty interesting fascinating at times even lofty people and and it's all because of that quest which was i just want to know more right curiosity I, I, it, it, you know it's 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 a, it's an interesting phenomena the, the the more we we do it it certainly benefits us i i wouldn't change any of what I've, I've known and, and, and the people that I've met along the way. But that only happens when, when we push that envelope and we go from that comfort to, um, to, to uh, discomfort, which you know, brings me to this, something that you know, don't even think about. And it was the first thing I, I highlighted following mastery of self. And that is society teaches us to look but it doesn't teach us to observe. And the minute you observe, everything changes. 
Absolutely. That takes a while too. Cause I, and that, that's a good lead into that for my, for my question on that one. Um, I have, you know, my ability to observe continually gets better. I think maturity has, has a lot to do with it. I think the ability to slow down, um, is, because I have a high tempo to begin with, um, type A's generally do, but be able to the, slow down enough, your, what you're seeing and taking in and the meaning of it, you know, um, it's amazing to me, like my, my first time I started observing probably was after truly observing more was after nine 11, you know, because unless sure. you face some, you know, in New York city during nine 11, when I saw eight bodies jumping from the North tower, um, what, what your brain first thinks was debris, but you're starting to lock on as you start observing, you know, something outside of a norm and then accepting it. That was uh, that was remarkable, you know, seeing the world differently from that point of view, because you didn't you wanted to have a different behavior if you ever had a, a do over, you know, in, in a lot of areas. And I and that's what I think cops, you know, you were a cop before you came in the FBI and the, what you observed on your first car stop was probably a lot different on your second and third, because you start seeing a reality, letting go of a, a context you know, a bias of whatever, you know, we always have, all of us have our, our contextual bias from our, our backgrounds and the ability to observe is moving beyond that. How do you do that? How does someone practice seeing more and observing? Yeah, well, you know, before I answer that question, which is a, a really significant uh, question is, can we ever really observe everything? Um, yeah, I don't think- question. I don't think what what you saw on 9-11 could have you couldn't have prepared for that in any kind of training. I, I you know, I, I told you the story, which I had never revealed before, that my um, my uncle was in one of the buildings across the street uh, at the uh, I believe it was the, the Century 21 uh, yep. uh, 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 structure. The South. Yep. I know exactly where it is. Yeah. Used to source me right there. (laughs) Well, he had been there and fortunately he decided to get out of there and go to yet another building, which didn't have a name. It just had a number, but he secured himself in place there, but nothing, you know, the debris came down and, you know, my family was desperate. They thought, he, he's gone. So I, you know, I had asked for permission to, to, to go to New York and I, it, could, could anything prepare you for the sounds? Remember the, the beep, beep uh, sound of the devices that the firemen were, wore or the smells? Oh, the smells. You know, this is, this is part of observation is uh, taking this stuff in and decoding it in context so that it makes sense to your humble brain Mm -hmm. and it may never make sense but to the extent that we can train um to observe we can always improve um we we can always uh, do things such as force yourself to not just look Oh, there's a car coming, but to decode it, how fast is it traveling? How many people are on board? 
are they teenagers just out of school? Is one or more of them, as I recently saw, frightening, just frightening. They were both on their mobile phones at the same time. Yep. <laughs> it's like you guys are driving in a neighborhood at this speed and you're both on your phones at the same time and not even looking out. When you begin to decode the world around you in context, then you, you begin to understand it better so that you can make better decisions, so that you can draw better inferences. Well, you know what? Maybe I'm going to stand here for a minute with my dog <laughs> so I don't get hit because none of those two teenagers are paying attention. And they weren't. <laughs> they weren't right. So, you know, you can teach yourself to look at color, to, you know, how often, I, you know, I, I, I remember working alone on, on, uh, in, on the reservations in, uh, in Arizona and, and saying, help is three hours away. You better put everything to use, smell. I'm smelling for, is somebody smoking out here? Alcohol, is somebody, did somebody just pour out, a, you know, your senses and you can develop these, these things, but you have to put effort into it. Um, you know, people ask me, Joe, you come into a room and you scan the room and you say you can read everybody. Yeah, I can. Well, well how do you do that? Well, it's, it's hard work. And the first time you do it, it's really hard but it gets easier and easier. And what you learn is, and, and this is what the book talks about, because there's exercises in the books on how to improve observation, is the question is always asked, well, aren't you just burdening yourself? And the answer is actually counterintuitive. No, because you're such an efficient decoder of the world around you that it actually makes your job easier. You don't have to think about it because you assess for it so quickly that you don't have to, it, it, it's like when you drive into a new city and you're driving around and you're trying to find parking and you're just exhausted. But when you're a really good observer, it's just so much easier. Um, and the, the initial work uh, may be more difficult but the end result is, uh, is powerful. And, uh, you know, and as you know, my, my specialty in the unit was, was, was nonverbals. And to be able to see something in a matter of a quarter of a second or a second and see things that for the average person, you might have to review it three or four times. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very helpful. Yeah, and it goes to one of the things that you were saying at the very beginning, and that the exceptional do is they have massive situational awareness for that decision-making process. And that's where observation really plays it because, you know, and, and as a leader and a follower, you need great situational awareness in order to make critical decisions to keep people safe, to create a safe environment, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Um, and that comes through that observation. Right, and rightly, rightly said. But, you know, observation, too, affects our ability to innovate. You can't innovate. Yes. You can't see opportunities if you're not observing. Um, but, you know, I, I remember people telling me before the 2008 uh, uh, economic crash and people were saying, oh, you, you, you know, you should invest in, in properties right now. And I said, 
are you kidding? The, 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 in, in, in South Florida, properties were increasing 33% per year. I, I said, that, that cannot be sustained. We don't, we, the, the average person only earns about 38,000, 40,000 a year. So we're, you know, this, this cannot uh, be sustained, but it's that ability to observe these little things that say caution caution be careful pay attention to 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 the to the detail and ignore the noise and i think that's where you and i see very much eye to eye in our training is that when you're a good observer you can call out a lot of noise yeah that you can filter stuff out and say i don't need that don't need that this is and i think that's what exceptional people do they can they may not be perfect in everything but in that which matters they're able to to uh, to to uh, cut through that noise i found one of the things that helps a lot with that is uh, letting go of the emotional attachment to the outcome because if you're emotionally attached to an outcome you're looking for you're going to start rationalizing for yourself the things you're seeing and you're going to start missing and that's why having what I call the loving critic in your life that can be dispassionately <laughs> loving about what it is that's trying to, you know, my wife is my loving critic because yeah. if you get too close to the outcome that you're trying to make happen, um, you're not going to observe nearly as well. Um, again, making sure that you're taking in all that data um, and yeah, wh wherever it falls passionately. But, right. Yeah. But, but, uh, but, but take it in. No, I, 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 I think you're exactly right. So yeah. I, I want to, you know, I have to respect your time um, because I could keep going with every single one of these trades. So I'm going to just mention a few and then yeah. I want to hit the last one because there's a couple of questions I do want to get to that I think would be really interesting to share with yeah. folks. So after um, seeing what matters, we have communication and then action. And then the other one that I really gravitated to was the last one, because it's actually one of the pillars I think of great leaders. And that is, creating psychological comfort. And that's what we were really talking about at the beginning as well with trust, because yeah. trust is creating that psychological comfort. Want to yeah. expand upon psychological comfort a little bit? Yeah, I, I do. You know, consistent with what you've written on trust, you know, uh, observation allows us to observe the needs, the wants, the desires, the preferences of others, but also their fears. Right. Think about that. That's yeah. what observation allows us to do. And if you can do that, wow. But then we come to the other two, which is in the area of trust, is you have to be able to communicate that. And exceptional people communicate really well, both verbally and non-verbally. Now, sometimes they do it more so non-verbally because, you know, that's the grandmother that gives you that great hug. And, you know, they're always... Um, you know, just giving you exactly what, what you need. I, I remember sitting with my dad and we would watch television together and he knew I was having a tough time and he would just hold my hand hmm. three hours watching a football game and, and he'd be holding my hand. He wouldn't say a word, not one word. He was very stoic, but he was communicating. And, and the other part of trust, which, which goes in, in line with, with your book, is the fact that action really does demonstrate trustworthiness that right. through your actions 
it's the best way to demonstrate that you're trustworthy, whether it's something as arriving early, uh, being attentive to time, uh, reaching down and picking up, uh, you know, something in the hallway that somebody threw on the floor. Your acts are uh, speaking about your character. And that's what ex exceptional people have in common. But the, the one thing that troubled me for years was what underpins all humans? What underpins all humans? What is it that we seek? And what I found interesting was that humans don't really seek perfection. We sometimes achieve it, right? Uh, you know, uh, you know, when you look at the P-51 Mustang, you think, okay, there's an <laughs> aircraft. That's perfection, right? The Cadillac of the skies. Uh, you know, you may look at your iPhone and say, wow, this is re really, per that's perfection. But what underlies all of that? And the one element that is universal that all humans seek is psychological comfort. And whoever provides that is the soonest winner. Yep. Well, what does that look like? You know, as we get as close as we can to having no stress, as close as we can to having no anxiety, as close as we can to uh, getting along with others, to enjoying a moment, to uh, having our preferences met, right? you know that when you and I sit, we have to have these long conversations. We, we, we dive deep. Um, other people may not appreciate that and, and, and that's fine. But you know, when you meet those expectations, those preferences and so forth, and, and what I found from leaders was not just that you know, they, we say great leaders um, they know where, uh, uh, you know, where they want to take us. They, ha they have this vision and great managers make sure that we do things right. Right. Where leaders tell us what things we should be doing. Um, but for, for all of us who are being somehow led, we have to have some sort of psychological comfort that this leader uh, is someone that is trustworthy, that is reliable, that they're consistent, that they're not emotionally unstable. Uh, that contributes to psychological comfort. And all the great leaders, you know, I think of Eisenhower going out and, and having a chat with the paratroopers right before they landed on D-Day and saying, guys, um, you know, we're, we're thinking about you calming things down, getting their, their heads in, in, into the game, um, having someone who reassures us. Um, and one of the most powerful uh, things I think from that last chapter is, and, I, and I've seen this taught nowhere else, and that is that one of the attributes of leadership is that they are there to attenuate fear. Mm -hmm. That great leaders don't create fear, they attenuate fear. They, um, th they lower that threshold that allows you to perform 
they diminish fear because that brings out the the best of us as um, as roosevelt said the only thing we have to fear is is fear itself and i think that's lacking in 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 a lot of leaders in fact i see a lot of leaders stoking fear when in fact the great leaders you know are the ones that say hey guys we're gonna get this done when i look at the survival stories um when i looked at i looked at the history of everyone that had ever won the medal of honor Mm. and uh you know, one of the arguments that I make in the book is that there is no hero gene. Right. That the reason people rise to do heroic things is because they care. That caring it, it provides psychological comfort. Yes. Knowing that your partner will back you up. These things, in the end, it's all about psychological comfort. And yep. if you understand that, and if you live your life uh, with that in mind, whether you're dealing with your children or a spouse or at work, um, you're going to be truly influential. Um, and and that's, that's what I found, that the, the exceptional individual makes this a priority. You know, it's and, interesting... You know, I, I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, 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 no. Um, so again, if you put some, you know, I don't think he's political, but just in case he is, if you put politics aside, Jim Mattis's book, Call Sign Chaos, was really enlightening. Uh, I, matter of fact, it's a book I wish I had read as a new Marine because I would have understood a lot more um, about what was going on behind the scenes. Matter of fact, he was he was a regimental commander on some exercises I was in when I was in the Marine Corps, when he was lower rank. One thing talk about providing that psychological comfort to overcome fear. Mm-hmm. One of the first things he did uh, when they're getting ready, I think it was the first Gulf war and they're practicing and rehearsing. He actually had all his uh, Marines up on a, what he called the sand dune amphitheater because they had sand dunes. And he right. actually had the, the hospital guys, the corpsmen, roll into this amphitheater and show how fast they could set up to take care of the wounded and hurt during the operation. And they, they demonstrated they could roll into a scene and within 15 to 20 minutes, they're completely ready to medevac you out and take care of you as so they could provide that psychological comfort to give your all because we'll be there for you. So again, uh, an example. And and that's exactly, and that's, that's a great example, uh, Robin, of here is a leader who has been through this you know mattis had been through a lot yeah and and he's thinking what is it that they need and you know you you can blah 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 a lot but if you demonstrate as as you say that we have this capability and this creates psychological comfort and it attenuates that fear now, most people don't say they have fear, and that's fine, because in the end, all fear is, is psychological discomfort. Yep. And so by providing that, now it allows the soldiers, the Marines, the, the airmen uh, to have their head in the game and think about this is what needs to be done now and not worry about this other stuff. And that is a, uh, really a great example of, of leadership is the, the attenuation of, 
of, of fear of apprehension and, and so forth and yet you go through the literature and you say okay what university teaches that yeah right it was actually as he says his study of history his his greatest shock absorber uh for what you face every day and mattis is you know one of the great uh, talk about a guy that likes to read yeah uh, I mean, I, I uh, yeah, I think it was it was General Mattis who, who who said by reading, I've never been confronted with anything I couldn't deal with. Absolutely, because he has the answers to it all. Matter of fact, he's got a part of my reading list is his reading list at the end of his book. It's a fantastic one, in a lot of areas. Um, as we kept keep rolling here. Oh, and the other thing I, I absolutely love he does. You know what? I, I loved that I learned what chaos stand, stood for. You thought it was him creating chaos on the battlefield. It, it's when he's a, a colonel first went into Afghanistan. It was colonel has another outstanding suggestion. Is what because <laughs> he was constantly innovating with what was provided to him. Constantly, you know, observing and he acted on observation. Again, another. Um, Another great thing. And also, he always came out with these very sometimes inflammatory and blunt statements that got a lot of news and press. Yeah, He said that for his Marines to give them psychological comfort that we're going to go in there and we're going to kill you because you're a bad <laughs> yeah. person and we're going to protect yeah. everyone else. So it was really his yeah, bluntness for, for his own for his own uh, people. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about observation and General Mattis talks about this and, and some of the other great uh, uh, generals and, uh, and they made it a point. And I learned this from exceptional people. Talk to the lowest people in your organization. Yes. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't rely, you know, oh, I, I only talk to people in the C-suite work all the way down to the lowest person and you will be, you know, it's like that uh, fellow I interviewed in New York who got more information from talking to the people that unload the trucks about why things are delayed, who works, you know, why on holidays we get some things and others we don't. What, where, what are the problems with traffic? What are the problems with ticketing? What are information that he could never get from the internet he got from visiting the loading dock yeah no doubt and and it and, and you know and and we have we have a lot of eyes and ears out there if we only tap into them to 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 find out what's what's going on we have we have self-created blinders um and some of them are hierarchical and and that's a shame um walk around talk to everybody uh I, I i love that that concept and i and i try to do that i really i really do and you know and i think that's something you and i did uh, at the last conference with with chris is um there was no one there that we didn't talk to uh not not even the children i mean there were children there and we mm -hmm. would sit down and answer their their questions and ask their perspective um, there's always something to, uh, to learn from non-judgmental curiosity is one of the greatest things you can have as a human being. And the greatest gift you can give another human being is be curious about them without judging it. It's, it's a great way to create again, that psychological comfort. Yeah. That, uh, that benign curiosity that I, I'm really interested in, uh, in what you have to say, what, what will that solve? I just made another friend. What is yeah. What does it, what does it matter? Is it, will I get paid more? For, no, 
Who cares? <laughs> who, 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 who cares? I just must be nothing. Made another. I just made made another friend. You just validated another human being, uh, and uh, and that's powerful. It is. Yeah. So the last um, boy, I I have a I have a whole slew of questions that I'd love to explore. So maybe we can do another one of these and explore even more. Um, but I, I kind of want to leave you know folks with a you know a, something unusual. So do you have any kind of unusual habit or, or trait that you do or daily ritual that is a little unusual to kind of keep you mentally sane that would shock people? Well, I don't know that it would shock people, but you know, my my neighbors would tell you, Joe Navarro is boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, we're going, we're you know, we're going to uh, you know this concert and that concert, and I I think what would shock most people is, I am a high end introvert. I'm very private. I yeah, I do events and so forth. But I, I really do like my privacy. I do really uh, enjoy being home, and uh, and and for me, you know, it's I, I just enjoy reading and and sitting down and writing some thoughts. Um, and my neighbors always, oh, why don't we go do? This? You know, I like scuba diving. I like snorkeling. I I I think most people would look at me and they would say, really, you, you swim 1800 meters a day. You don't look like it. <laughs> <laughs> another thing we have in common. I do. I, I swim every day. I, I, I love swimming. And, um, but, um, I, I think, yeah, I think that would be the, uh, the thing that startles most people is just how, uh, sort of introverted. I, I, I like to eat by myself. I like to just take that time to think um yeah i think that's uh nice well thank you joe um people so i i we again brush such a small surface of everything you do and offer uh i know your website is jnforensics.com uh mm -hmm. for people that want more information any one of the num numerous best-selling internationally best-selling books but also you also have your nonverbal academy uh where can people find out more about that yeah, just you can go to jamforensics.com or, uh, you know, if you're if you're out there somewhere and you can't write this down, joenavarro.net. Um, and uh, I do have an online course, um, which is uh, it's well, it's not for everybody. It's on average, it takes um, anywhere from four months to six months to complete. It's uh, it's really tough. And I made it really tough um tough doesn't even cover it uh i think most people would say it's it's hard but um i created it so that people would really learn nonverbals and know how to use it and utilize it um and uh yeah they they should they should definitely uh, uh, uh check it out and they can get that from my from my website and uh, you know like you i've been lucky with the books uh, what everybody is saying, uh, the, the editor told me, Joe, you know, if, if, if we get six months of interest in the book, it'll be, it'll be good. And, uh, you know, now it's in, in 29 languages and, uh, you know, you just, when you're, as you know, writing is, is writing is a lonely process. 
because um, I've I've been with you when you're writing and uh, and and it's and it's hard. Yeah, uh, <laughs> my copy. <laughs> and you, as you write, you don't know if it's going to be liked or not. You put your best effort into it, um, but that has been uh, very rewarding to. To, to see it in so in so many languages uh i'm, I'm still humbled by that I'm, I'm still blown away by by that well i thank you very much joe thanks for spending the time with me today and everyone else uh give a new deeper insight into the master of all joe navarro and my jedi master and guide in my life and uh we will see you around joe <laughs> Uh, thanks, Robin. You know, it's it's always been a pleasure being uh, both uh, uh, your friend and uh, and then uh, seeing you come along, but also uh, having you mentor me at times and then me mentoring you at times. It's um, it's been very helpful. Beautiful. Con Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Forged by Trust. If you enjoyed the show, took away a few new tools, I hope you will leave a great review of the show to show your support. If you are interested in more information about how to forge your own trust-building strategies, please visit my website at www.peopleformula.com. You can also follow me on my social media sites included in the show notes. I am looking forward to sharing my next Forge by Trust episode with you soon.